You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham. Jamie Lee Finch is a relationship guide between humans and their bodies. She works with individuals of all genders who consistently find within themselves an inability to connect with, communicate with, and successfully relate to their own bodies. Many of these individuals are survivors of fundamentalist religion who now experience a range of physical, emotional, and mental and spiritual conditions. I hope you enjoy the show. Yeah, so first and foremost, you're a poet, and I understand what that's like because first and foremost, I'm a singer, and so the the social justice work that I've taken up has taken me so far away from that. Yes, right. (laughs) But even, I think even my songs, they were all about empowering self and, you know, Mm -hmm. um, pushing through uh, the bullshit of the patriarchy and like all that stuff. So um, let's start at the beginning. Where are you from? What's your spiritual background? What were you just dis- deconstructing from that buzzword? Mm, ooh, good one. Good way to phrase that. Um, <clears throat> so I was born and, well, born and raised in two different spots. I'm, I'm used to saying born and raised in the same spot. Not true. Yeah. I was raised in the Midwest, um, just outside St. Louis, Missouri, in the suburbs. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think about it like that was, the Midwest is kind of like, it's just, it's very neutral it's very bland and I hope I don't offend anyone by saying that, but like, there's not much when I think of like, what is the culture of that region of the country? There's not really anything like specific that comes to mind other than like a lot of cheese on your foods. Oh and, like that's pretty much it. So when I think about like my upbringing, like the kind of culture of my upbringing and my background, I predominantly think of my religious environment. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and so I don't, so I was raised initially on Southern Baptist um, which, you know, having learned a lot more now about that background and learning about the history of that religion and how, I mean, it just has always been racist. Like it started as a incredibly racist denomination because it, like it was created around the time of the civil war when these like Southern white plantation owners were pissed that the messages they started to hear from the pulpits of their churches were beginning to, um, move in support of abolition and they didn't want to lose anything by that. So they just literally just created their own fucking denomination. And so learning that as an adult, it, it filled out a lot of, a lot of, um, it, yeah, it filled in a lot of blanks for me about the reason why, um, the denomination I was in, it was like, it was exclusively white. Um, you know, my parents had a lot of very specific things to either say or not say, um, about people of color and mm. so that it is when I think about so all of this to say, when I think about my religious background, it is as much um, evangelical Christian in that particular brand of the Southern Baptist denomination as it is or is slash was um, just completely rooted in white supremacy. I um, have no idea. And that's fascinating yeah. because, I mean, my my background is Adventism and everything mm. is segregated. There's the black churches and the white churches. And I grew yeah. up in, and there's a like a black denomination, a uh, black conference, and then there's mm-hmm. a white conference. And I'm just like, how did that happen in church? And it makes yeah. sense that it would go all the way back to like the Civil War. <laughs> yeah. When it's, I mean, and, and are we, can we really even be that surprised, you know, when it comes to like power, powerful people afraid of losing what gives them and 
they're willing to sacrifice whatever they claim their beliefs to be in order to maintain that power. Mm. Um, so it's, yeah. <laughs> so it's like really, but it also, it's interesting because I think about my religious background that I very much, and this will probably come up when we kind of talk about where I am now with things. Um, yeah. the question of like, how, like where do you encounter the divine the most and my current thoughts about God and the Bible. Like when I really think when I, when I do my best to remove tiny little me from the context I was in, I was initially sans any influence, just a mystic. And hmm. it felt like once I started to get older and I stopped being like a child where you encourage imagination and their way of connecting with the world, however they choose. And I started to like move into adolescence and things became much more serious. And it was much more important for me to have the correct theological answer and explanation for things is when I really was like, I was required to care a little bit more about, um, doctrine and emphasizing, you know, understanding over experience. And so when I think about, but when, but again, when I think about, you know, me, little, little child, me void of any of that influence, I deeply, deeply knew without knowing how I knew that my parents' opinions on people of color, that the exclusion of speaking about social justice issues from like the, the pulpit in my church, I, it was so problematic to me as like an eight year old. And I had no way to explain that. Um, I was like, I remember being a kid and, and searching through like scripture. I remember sitting in my living room and searching through scripture to try and find some like scriptural proof, um, that and just like put it very, very like simply, because I'd been used to hearing this kind of message, definitely by omission from my dad, but definitely oh sorry, I'm dog sitting and they're gonna make noise. Um and but definitely by um like direct statements by my mother, because my mother is a deeply, deeply racist individual. Um wow. and so I remember hearing statements from her about how like just about like basically how like you know white people were like so much better um and I remember it was it bothered me so much and so I was looking in the bible because all I knew of God I was like that that can't be God's opinion I know my mom's wrong maybe she just doesn't know that like that's not God's opinion and so I remember like searching through the bible just trying to find something that was like clear about that um so I could take it to her and be like hey maybe you just didn't know but here's this proof that your opinion is wrong and God doesn't agree with you. Um, and so I don't know, like it's, I, that's a question I feel like I've carried around in my body for a long time and might carry around as a question in my body forever. Cause I don't know where that came from yeah. apart from just thinking like it was just something directly, I guess maybe directly from the divine because no one taught that to me. That, I mean, it sounds like you had a real innate sense of right and wrong and truth and, um, and I think that that's something that children are just blessed with, isn't it? True. Yeah. You know, like my niece is, is one of the most profound voices and she's like four, you know? Um, and, wow. and I think it's clear that that's something that is taught is that, um, delineation of the line and you're on this side and I'm on this side and I'm going to lift myself up by pushing you down and, and it's going to help me become a better person, obviously by picking myself up and pushing you down mm-hmm. um, and that's such an that's such an interesting message of christianity isn't it that there have to yeah. be outsiders every single time there we just can't love each other and be in the same mm. space with each other um, right 
like there always has to be an us and there always has to be a them yeah it's like christianity is a is a quilt and there's just not enough to go around Mm. somebody's (laughs) always going to be in the cold we're just going to hog all the covers yeah oh i like that's a really good analogy (laughs) you can use it it's all all mine none for you you get to freeze (laughs) yeah and and that's what it feels like And, and honestly i just don't see the world that way and your child self didn't see the world that way that is amazing Mm-hmm. And so you had that one side of you. Um, how, how did you, how, yeah, I guess we can go to the, straight to the deconstruct level, but how did you yeah. get, how did you find your way out of that? Hmm. <clears throat> Long road. Um, I think actually the main, uh, the, the first thing that comes to mind as far as like how I found my way out of it um, is by my intense effort to keep finding my place in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I kept leaving certain denominations to go to other ones. Mm -hmm. Um, because it just, I I think, you know, like the, the thing you kind of hear regardless of the denomination that you're in, although I don't know, maybe there are some that don't say this, but in the ones that I spent time in, you kind of continually hear this message that, um, you know, it's supposed to feel a certain way. You're supposed to have this like deep, um, and this, maybe this is my language word, but like bodily, like felt sense of certainty, um, you are supposed to kind of have, and maybe more charismatic expressions, I'd say like you would, you would actually like feel the presence of God with you. Um, they would also give a lot of that kind of lip service to, oh, it's not about behavior modification. It's about being so close to God that you no longer want to do any of the things that you're not supposed to do. And, and those things that they kept offering me, um, Never and that I kept happened. hearing were supposed to be happening were not ever happening. Hmm. And so I just kept thinking, oh, well, maybe this denomination or this church or this group or this gathering isn't where it is. And so I just got to go. It, this, is on, this is on me. I'm just not looking in the right place. It exists. I just got to go find it. And so I kept leaving. Um, well, that's a nice way to put it. What actually kept happening is I kept talking because I'm an eight on the Enneagram. So it wasn't really just like going gentle into that good night. I was essentially like <laughs> speaking up in the environments that I was in saying like, hey, like this, this either doesn't feel right or seem right or sound right. Some of that had to do with like gender, sexuality, racial dynamics that I was experiencing and seeing, you know, being taught that I was like, I don't think that that's correct. Or just at at the very basic level, compassionate, maybe we should start there. Um, And so I would, I would simultaneously not feel that change I was promised as well as notice these problems and be like, Hey, I'm seeing this tradition in this, in this book, we're all reading about like being a prophet and being prophetic and that prophetic act as you speak back into the thing so it can like become better, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, let me do that thing. And then people kept being like, holy shit, stop doing that thing. Mm-hmm. So when I say that I kept leaving, it was really like I kept kind of getting 
kicked out um, in really passive aggressive ways, but like <laughs> being removed from, you know, being removed from leadership, not being allowed to sing anymore, like being kind of isolated or no longer yeah. just being taken off of email lists without being what? told anything about. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Over a number of years, like things like that kept happening you? or like, Hey, we're concerned <laughs> about the direction you're going in. So we're going to meet with you, a team, a whole team of male pastors are going to meet with you weekly to, to dissect the beliefs that you're growing into because we think they're dangerous and, and you should wow. not have them. Yeah. So my friend, that, uh, Danine Akers is creating a book called Holy Troublemakers. And it sounds like that's exactly who you were. Ooh, <laughs> Hashtag Holy Troublemaker. <laughs> hell yes. That's a, oh yes. Very good name for it. Like it started like in high school. Cause I went to a Christian high school too. Um, <clears throat> and that I was a very problematic, um, individual in that environment as well. Um, and especially problematic being a female, in those environments. Cause it's like, okay, maybe some of this, they could stomach from a male because, you know, they have this really, you know, unfortunately dichotomous and narrow view of masculine traits, feminine traits. And that's just not what a lady does. That's not how a lady acts or much less like a good, you know, submissive and gentle and quiet spirited woman of God. And so that was extra problematic for them. So I kept leaving in search of something that felt more compassionate and kind and true. And additionally kept leaving because they, I kept kind of getting this message. There's no space for a person like you here. Um, and so I kind of essentially like pushed all my chips into the middle of the table, um, about five years ago when I left, I had moved to Nashville and had done a ministry school, like a charismatic Christian ministry school here, um, much like Bethel, um, that school of supernatural ministry. The one here is called the school of supernatural life. Um, very original. Um, or you could just call it Jesus Hogwarts if you want. That also (laughs) works. Um, and so I love Hogwarts though. (laughs) I know. It's like, maybe we shouldn't do that because Hogwarts is too pure. I don't want to ruin it. Um, so I moved here, did a year at that school. Um, my outreach, that I went on with, you know, in finishing up the the year of your school, you go to another place and do all these things you just learned. Um, that took me to England, working with mm. uh, a group there um, who offered me a, well, this is a fun word inside of Christendom, an internship, which really just means unpaid, <laughs> emotional <laughs> and practical labor um, yeah. <clears throat> that they manipulate you into, um, offered me an internship. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it and went back. So um, in... Yeah, about around five years ago, right now, actually, I was about two weeks away from moving to England mm-hmm. um, and moved there for what I thought would be, you know, full time ministry. Uh, their organization is called the House of Prayer Europe. It's very, very similar to the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. Um, like, same people that started, you know, the same things, a lot of crossover and worship leaders and you know, leaders and, and, and uh, definitely a lot of the, I mean, identical beliefs. So all that weird shit of like post-apocalyptic, like Jesus is going to come back and destroy his enemies and there's going to be a giant war and there's a hierarchy in heaven. And the more Mm. you give up now, the more you get later, like all that stuff was there. So suffice it to say, um, my intuition was like, holy shit, get us out of here. Cause yeah. the cell was like, you get to be on a platform and lead worship. And I also, I, I sing as well. And my entire experience inside of religion up to that point was a little bit less about, um, like my, my, when I said that, you know, I would 
you know, be in an, uh, a church or a, um, a denomination and eventually I get kicked out. What would bring me in to the next one was the fact that I could sing. The music. Get really excited uh, about me. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it feels like they like you because of what you can do for them. And they yeah. have zero interest in like who you are as a person. Huh. So then when my personality became problematic, they're like, fuck it, we'll find a new singer. You need to go. <laughs> so I was so stoked because this like this place, you know, there's a lot of and I was talking to someone about this last night, actually. I was like, I think what got me there slash kept me there, if I'm really honest, was like this promise of like a platform and like fame within like the worship world. Mm -hmm. And they knew all the right people. And there was just talk of like, you know, traveling the world. And they also, um, there was a lot of family language that they employed, um, like calling me their daughter, having me call the head pastors of the place. I call them mom and dad and, you know, coming from my family background, which was very, you know, tough, like that did a number on me. So my intuition was like, this place is crazy. But like the deep, like wounded in wounded, my heart was like, well, but I want it to work. And so, um, I stayed there for about six months. And then the intention honestly was to come back to the States and get a visa and go back. And what organization was it? Um, so it's called, it's called the house of prayer Europe. They're partners with the, with the international house of prayer with IHOP. IHOP. Oh, Mm -hmm. oh, not like international house of pancakes, which is where (laughs) my brain went. (laughs) But I, I love that. Like whenever I find someone who's like, are you talking about the pancakes? I'm like, Oh, I love that. You have no idea who these people are. That's the greatest. Yeah. How small this, that world actually is. Even when it feels so big when you're in it. Cause there's, there's a, there's an IHOP like in center city. So late at night, if you're out with your friends, you, you usually end up there. And I was like, have I been giving money to this organization this whole time? Yeah. (laughs) Terrified. But also I want to say that, um, Christianity has this has this way of manipulating people yeah. with their marketing. Yeah. And it sounds like the marketing wasn't what you and I would think if we start a business, you know, like public facing marketing. What it is is like creating this culture inside of the quote unquote business or nonprofit mm-hmm. that that tells people who they are and how to relate to one another in terms that is so close to to, like you said, familial things, you know, yeah. that is insane. Yeah. It is so destructive and they're getting away with it because they say that it is for God and by right. God and, and wow. they get away with it. I was actually writing about this, um, just the other day and so you can find it. Um, <clears throat> so the idea of sin, like I'm, I'm, I, I mean, I have some really strong feelings about what that word has been like co-opted to mean in a lot of situations. Me too. Um, but it, it is both, it is simultaneously this constant plague on the consciousness because there's like this, um, equation between thought life and like active behavior within evangelical Christianity. That is just completely insane. So you not only have people walking around like terrified of their own brains because like they're afraid that they're sinning, against God in a way that they actually honestly can't like control or manipulate. Um, but it's just happening. Um, so it's both a constant plague on the consciousness and a cop out for habitual bad behavior Mm. because people who are behaving badly consistently, especially powerful white men can just say, Oh, 
that wasn't sexual assault. He just has a problem with sin. Yeah. Oh, that's not systemic, like institutionalized racism. This is just a sin problem. It's not, a, it's not an issue of white supremacy. It's an issue of sin. It's not a, it's not an X. It's a heart issue. It's not a, this, it's a sin issue. Like it's not that they need abortions. It's that they need to learn to close their legs. <laughs> and that's yeah, right. where we're at right yes. now. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's that whole, like, there is a problem in your behavior, yeah. but we're just going to call it sin. So we'll never actually Address look deeper it. into yeah. what's informing the behavior. Ooh. But at the same time, like I hear this from so many of my clients that I work with, where it's like that idea of sin that they were raised with and internalized as children gave them so much anxiety and scrupulosity and OCD like tendencies because they were terrified that if they did or thought any tiny little thing, it would mean a disconnection from God. So you've, you've had these people in leadership who are co-opting the term and making it into something that excuses them for whatever the hell they want to do. But then you also have these like really pure, like innocent, like, you know, children and adolescents and even adults who are still afraid of their own brains when they shouldn't need to be. Yeah. Oh, I was just on a podcast called Heathen where I talked about how hard it was to trust myself, you know, because Mm. I was used to deferring that trust to the white men in church who were telling us how to think. Ah. Yeah. Oh yep. my God, you are gold. <clears throat> Keep oh, yeah. saying it's more an words. It's battle to rewire your brain and your body to be like, actually, I am my own highest law. Like, because your entire life has been people saying, not only are you not your own highest law, but God is, but we are the only voice for God. So technically we are. And if you think that you are allowed to listen to yourself, that again is sin. So the only way for you to be able to do the amazing work that you do now um, means that you had to come back to yourself and find your own mm-hmm. path. How did that, that happen? <laughs> it sounds like it's a question. Yeah. Well, um, as is the case for a lot of people, um, some, uh, some a decent amount of like trauma and heartbreak. Um, what happened? So I came back from England and I mean, I, I had not even said goodbye to people because I, you could only be there for six months without a visa. So it was just like, all right, yeah. we'll go back and we'll get you a visa. Mm-hmm. And a couple months, like I was supposed to be back in the States for three months and then go back. Um, and then two months into that three month journey of being here, um, I contacted them cause I was like, Hey, maybe now seems like the right time to get started on the, on the visa process. Um, and they wrote me an email back like a couple weeks later. And, um, I mean, essentially we're just like, um, so, uh, our bad, <clears throat> we don't have any money. Um, so we can't give you a visa. We can't support you for a visa to bring you back. Um, so you can't, you're not coming back. You can't come back. Um, but apparently this is what God had planned all along because it's what's oh happening. And so, you know, the implication there is like, you don't get to be upset about it. Um, and literally said in the closing of the email, like check back with us in October oh. and we'll see like, and this was May of 2014. <clears throat> and they were like, yeah, just check with us in October. And it wasn't even like check with us in October and we'll bring you back. It was like, check with us in October and we'll, we'll see where we are in our finances. So I had only even brought back like one suitcase of my stuff. Like I still had a flat there. I had bills in my name. I had a cell yeah. phone. 
like a UK cell phone. Wow. I had like half of my clothes were in my wardrobe in my flat, like just sitting there empty. And I had no way to get any of it. And I could not get back inside of that country where I had given six months of my um, time and energy and devotion and like psychological well-being to hearing them tell me over and over and over, this is the only thing that gives your life any meaning or purpose is to do this work. Because they, they really were that intense you. about that. They oh, extremely. Yeah, you. extremely. So that <sighs> devastated me. But what devastated me further is I couldn't be honest with anybody about how much it devastated me. Because in order to just be oh. obedient, like I couldn't, I of course couldn't tell them. But I also like I just jumped, <clears throat> you know, right back into my life in, in Nashville, which was equally as like church focused, church centered, um, back at that church that I had done that ministry school with and was like leading worship and stuff. And people would ask, and of course, in order to like be the right kind of obedient, um, daughter of God, you've got to be like, yeah, but it's okay. God knows what he's doing. I'm just trusting the Lord. Like it was so fucking difficult. And I was trying so hard to like keep this appearance that like everything was fine, that my body was very, very not fine. Um, <clears throat> I So I had had this um, relationship towards patterns of, of disordered eating for a very, very long time. And there's a lot to say about that and where that came from, deeply rooted in kind of the, the evangelical language of your body, you know, your flesh being sinful and bad. And, and then some of those, you know, sexual ethics of, you know, you're not allowed to love your body if you're a woman, like that's yeah. dangerous. So um, it came, it, well, I don't want to say it came back because it had kind of always been present, but <clears throat> it, my relationship towards the self-harm that I was um, enacting through through the avenue, through the vehicle of my eating, um, through binging and purging, and also just like har- just harming my body in a lot of other ways. Um, I I went I like it was like the only thing I I like had to do because essentially so I moved in with this family um, in like a spare room that they had and I had nothing to wake up for in the morning. I had nothing going on. I didn't have any money. So I had my dad's car, but I was in Franklin, Tennessee and all, you know, the relationships that I had with people in, um, Nashville were, you know, in Nashville, which is about, you know, 30, a 30 minute drive, but I couldn't make that drive because I didn't have enough money to like, I didn't have a source of income, so I couldn't like put gas in my car. Yeah. So <clears throat> I was just like trapped and alone and couldn't be honest with myself or anybody else felt about closeted. how devastated I was. Yeah. What's that? I guess what I'm learning is that the Christian church has more than one way to make people feel closeted. You know, like mm-hmm. you don't have an, any way of really experiencing mm-hmm. your true self and your true feelings. Yes, 100%. Yep. So after a few months of that living like that, essentially, um, I, I was so dissociated with my body from my body. Mm -hmm. Um, I was so, and also this is something I think about a lot too, where because of all the binging and purging I was doing, and I was just kept fucking up my body. Like I was gaining weight and it was the middle of the summer. And again, remember half my clothes were in England and I had a limited amount of things. I had no money. So there were, there were very few clothing items that I could tangibly wear and then comfortably wear. Um, Mm. and so when I was at Grace Center and if I was leading worship, like my pants, like didn't fit me. And so I could only wear leggings and I had someone like pull me aside and tell me that like I was essentially, you know, doing something wrong by wearing leggings because of the potential. And, and I look back on that now and I think about like how, how freeing it could have been had they had a different conversation with me. 
Like, like had they maybe said, opened it up and asked how I was doing at all, rather than reprimanding me for my clothing choices, they might have found out. Or ask just two, maybe one or two other questions, and you would have maybe heard me be honest with you and tell you this is the only thing I have to wear. Yeah. And then, you know, you can ask one or two other questions, powerful questions, compassionate questions into why that's the case. And then eventually maybe I would feel safe enough to be like, look, I am self-harming. I am binge eating every single day. I'm eating full meals and then I'm eating like a, like a half a jar of almond butter, like every night before I go to bed and then I'm throwing it up in the morning and my body's out of whack and I can't digest. Like maybe I would have felt, maybe not, but maybe, and maybe I would have felt safe enough to own the fact that I was in so much distress. But instead it was, Hey, this is, it was a reinforcement of your body is bad. What you are doing is bad. You know, this is, this is inappropriate behavior and not befitting like dressing like this is, is not befitting of someone who, you know, is a, should, should be allowed to be a worship leader essentially. Mm. So after a few months of that, I really just wound up in this spot where, um, to kind of like oversimplify kind of the whole journey. Um, I found myself in this, in this place where it was very logical to me. It was very, um, I so, I'm so aware that I can't live like this anymore like dissociated from, and this is the language I have now, like this level of dissociated from my body and in so much physical and emotional pain um, while just, you know, trying to pretend like it's not there. Um, I so clearly couldn't live like that anymore that it, that was a really logical statement for me. It was like, okay, if I can't live like this anymore, that either means that I can't live like this anymore. Either that's the most important word in that sentence. Mm -hmm. um, So something has to change or I can't be alive Mm -hmm. starting tomorrow. Like either or live might be the most important word in that sentence. Um, I think I spent enough time dwelling on that second option, um, that I was like, okay, again, this was all very logical. I was like, I, all I'm thinking about is that option. Not only does that scare me a little bit, but also I'm realizing that's kind of unfair to the first option because I haven't even tried. Like I haven't even, because so much of what I could try, I felt really limited on because either it was me not trusting God or me doing something that could come at a personal expense to me that I, you know, I didn't have. So eventually I, the beginning of the way out was, um, I entered into a a 12 step program for food addiction because I just didn't know where else to start. Mm -hmm. And there was a religious community here in, in Nashville that I had been connected with previously that they started, they like started a a round of doing this, um, program called power to choose. Um, I wouldn't do it now. Um, I, it's not that I have any ill feelings about it, but I just, I, I'm not comfortable with like the religious language in it anymore. Um, but it was exactly what I needed at the time because what it did for me, I, I couldn't make like the, the meetings that they were having. So they were like, it's okay. We've, we'll just put you like with one direct person. Like, So all of your meetings are just with your quote, like sponsor person. So I had one individual person that I was finally able to be like open up and and tell the truth to. And that, that started to change everything else. Um, so through a long series of, of other things occurring, I, I got, I ended up getting a job. Um, I moved out of that house and moved back into kind of the East Nashville area of Nashville. Um, but what happened is I had started working for a Christian chiropractor Mm -hmm. who he was so awful and his language was so, um, like spiritually traumatizing and abusive. And he was so misogynistic that actually that kind of served a purpose too. It brought the trauma that I was not able to be honest with myself about what had happened in England to the surface. Cause Mm -hmm. I could, I could be so, um, I felt myself, I was allowed to be angry at him. And I was yeah. allowed to be upset by the things he was saying yeah. that it brought all that up. And I started having 
anxiety attacks, panic attacks, <clears throat> whenever I would try to go to church um, for about a month mm. straight in early 2015. Um, and so that combined with reading someone else's experience of their time at IHOP, I came across a blog of an acquaintance that I know that wrote about their experience. It was like I was reading his telling of his experience and not really knowing until like three fourths of the way through when it, when it like clicked and connected. I had no idea that as I was reading it, I was like, Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah. That happened to me too. Oh yeah. That they do that thing. I forgot about that. And then it literally, it was like a light switch at one point one like flipped on. And I was like, Holy shit. Like, cause I re I remember telling myself like, Oh man, this sounds like he was in a cult. And then yeah. I like, it just clicked. And I was like, I was in a cult, like, and it just, just light switch went on at the same time I was having these panic attacks. And I was like, okay, my, and again, my language for it now is like, my body has been trying to get my attention, trying to get me out of church buildings because wow, I really you know, like it had been harming her language. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm going to agree with you on this. I'm going to give you what you need. And my like inability, utter and complete inability to stay inside the room, inside of places of worship, um, because mm. I would just panic and I, I would shake and sweat and couldn't breathe. So I had to leave. And the moment I would leave the building and step outside, I would be totally fine. So I was like, okay, clearly I can't keep putting you in this, in these environments. I need to figure out what's going on. And I'm that so permission, sorry that happened to you. <laughs> thank you. And it's still, it's still, I keep trying occasionally and it's still, I, she just still can't be in those spaces and that's fine that breaks like my heart and it makes me want to cry just listening to it and mm -hmm. it's not unfamiliar honestly it's yeah. not unfamiliar and oh yeah honestly I've tried with the church several times where like I've I've left and then I've come back and discovered mm. that the same things were going on and it was equally as damaging and disgusting and left and came yeah. back and um I think I'm I'm one of those it wasn't as toxic for me um mm. but I I do. I hear you. I'm so sorry. I'm so mm. sorry. And I know it's not my sorry to give, but I'm so sorry. <laughs> Thank you. I, I am too. Like, because I, <clears throat> I see, I think ever since I was a, a kid and I, I like in that whole, like I was born a mystic and just, you know, was unfortunately raised inside of a Southern Baptist environment. Like I yeah. think from just that very young age, I saw the potential and I saw like the good that maybe this belief system or even just like, I don't know. I saw, I saw the good that was maybe possible. And yet kind of like you were just saying where it's like you leave and you come back and you leave and you come back. And that's a really particular form of grief because it keeps breaking your heart over and over and over. Cause yeah. you're like, maybe this time it'll be different. And then it's not. And then you mm -hmm. kind of psych yourself up and you go back. Maybe this time it'll be different. Maybe they learned more. Maybe, maybe this religion is like progressing a little bit in, in the, maybe it's language has evolved. Maybe it's like, you know, it's focused on social, social justice and like these important issues has grown and evolved. And then you show up and they're still just talking about the same things. And, <clears throat> so it like it does break your heart all over again because you want so badly to love it and you want so badly for it to be good it just I, I wrote something recently just about how like this is essentially like textbook um you know it, it's textbook of what it's like to be in, in an abusive relationship with an unhealthy partner where yeah. you know and I remember that whatever it is that I said like on Twitter or Facebook was like this is exactly what your mother warned you about when you were younger about seeing not seeing someone's potential overseeing what they're actually doing because that's yeah. how you get roped into unhealthy 
environments and unhealthy relationships, whether it's with a person or an organization or a job, like Mm. basically consistently telling yourself over and over and over, no, I see their potential. I see how good they could be. It blinds you from being able to actually tell yourself the truth about like the ways in which they are harming you. They're actively harming you. And that's very much how I feel now, like since leaving and since finally having that permission to leave, it was really fast. Like once I left and stopped requiring myself to show up to a church building multiple times a week for the first time in my life, it was so fast that I was like, oh, I've never really wanted to be there. Like, it's just not for me. Like this particular religion of, you know, definitely evangelical Christianity, but even just Christianity, like it's just not not the one for me. Mm. And that was like, that was so terrifying to consider And then the moment I removed myself from the environment, it was just like the easiest thing in the world to tell myself. It just became so simple. I I created our Bible app for this discussion, for this place. And it's not that I think people, everybody should be reading the Bible, but I feel like we all still have that spiritual part of us that needs to be fed, that that wants access to the yep. divine, you know, and, um, we're starting, um, a campaign called baggage claim, hashtag baggage claim. And it's <gasps> oh, basically that's a great name. Keep your faith, ditch the baggage, you know? Mm. And it's just like, and that's what I want to ask you. Like what, what of your faith were you able to keep? What, what, I guess the, all the questions, what is saving you right now? Where do mm. you encounter the divine? Like, where did you mm. go from there? Like what, what were you able to still hold on to that wasn't covered in all of that toxic bullshit from right. your tragic church experiences? <clears throat> hmm. um, that's such a great question. I think what it started with, my again, my initial inclination to the quick answer is like, I could only tell myself and pretend that I was like a utterly and totally like non-believing in anything beyond myself person for like two weeks. <laughs> it, like I didn't have along with that. Um, yeah. Again, like deeply mystic child, like was initially like very drawn to like earth-based spiritual practice mm, when yeah. I was a kid. Like, this is so funny. So, um, and this is a little bit of a spoiler for where I am now, but I'm, I'm actively going through a process of like studying like what, like the origins of what we would, you know, call like witchcraft or like what I would, you know, say like earth-based like spirituality, Mm -hmm. um, really like going through a process of like studying that and kind of being, um, I have a a, a particular person who's like teaching me. So very simple way of putting it. I have a witch teacher, which is awesome. But Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, like, it's so funny, but like I, the only thing, cause obviously all this stuff was like off limits cause it was the occult when you were younger. So, mm-hmm. but when I was a kid, somewhere along the line, I picked up the only thing I knew about witches is that they were apparently seemingly like powerful women. Um, and they had black cats. I guess maybe I got that from <laughs> like Halloween yeah, imagery. Hollywood. Like every year. <clears throat> and so I begged my parents for a black cat. Of course, I didn't tell them why, but I was just Gosh. like so obsessed with the idea of having a black cat because I was like, that's, that'll make me a witch. And I was just so stoked about it. And mm-hmm. I did end up getting one, which was really exciting. Um, but I think like going, so, so all that to say, like, even as a kid, like, you know, the times when I would connect with um, 
my experience of the divine, like the times when I felt most connected to God, or quite literally, like the times when I felt safest to express my emotions and to cry and to pray were not inside my own home because my home wasn't a safe place to be. I needed to leave and go walk through my neighborhood and climb a tree. Mm -hmm. Like the only time I felt like safe to cry because I felt most connected to God was like up at the top of a tree. So things like that were like when I left evangelicalism, And I was like, I need permission to not believe in anything. And that permission was Mm. key. And Mm -hmm. so I spent, yeah, probably only about two weeks pretending like I didn't believe in anything because I I just couldn't hack it because I was like, I've seen, I just, I feel that there is life and everything and connection and everything and the Mm -hmm. divine and the universe and it all, like, I just, that's how, before anyone else taught me a certain way of being, that's how I was. I truly, truly was. And that might not be true for everybody, but the, the key there is that you have the permission to know what has always been like true and right for you. And yeah. so for me, kind of going through this journey and this process of the last few years of, you know, definitely not thinking there's nothing, but definitely not being concerned with what to call it. Like about a year <clears throat> during that first year of like leaving church, um, I didn't talk to anyone about it because I didn't know what to say. And then, you know, somewhere around the end of that first year, I started to kind of post a bit more publicly and communicate with people about it. And I remember someone from that um, church, that environment in England, commenting on something of mine on Facebook and saying, um, you know, just curious, like, are you still a Christian? You know, that age old question. Yeah. And <clears throat> my answer to him was, um, the only, the only answer that I know to give you is that it is no longer important to me to have an answer to that question, Ooh. which is like the most frustrating answer ever for fundamentalists. Cause they're like, oh, I can't catch you anywhere. Like, what does that mean? And yeah. so I, but that's really how I feel is it's not like, it's just, I'm very uh, like unconcerned with, um, titles or terms or like who owns what or the idea that anybody could own any of it. Like I just, I am, I am moved by, you know, I, I, when I, when you were um, talking about the, you know, your intentionality behind creating our Bible app and, you know, seeing on, on your website and information about it, that it's like, it, it focuses, one of the areas of focuses is um, like the interface reading of Mm -hmm. this particular like text Um, it reminds me of like, you know, one of the areas in which I kind of feel still like very spiritually connected is, um, I get like Richard Rohr's emails, um, like his daily emails and his, um, just ability and the ability of, you know, the, the whole, you know, um, gosh, their center for action and contemplation. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, their ability to hold up an interfaith ethic Mm -hmm. and say like, it can all belong and it can actually all be found here too. Like pointing like to the Bible, like it can all be found here too. And you can find anything that you might need to find as far as a connection with the divine in it. I think like this alternative, which is funny to use the word alternative reading because it's not alternative reading. I think it's actually the way it was intended to be Mm. read all along. Um, I think that I find compelling, but I also in saying that too, I also like could leave it, and, and be very fine with that too. Like Mm -hmm. I have some 
some issues with the fact that it is still, it was something that was still created inside of a patriarchal paradigm. Like that's still problematic for me, even if we're talking about the Christ and that being like, um, like an energy or like an image of a manner of being, it's still personified as male. And I'm like, those things still feel a little bit like old paradigm for me personally. Mm -hmm. So I'm no longer as compelled. Like I think maybe this time a year or two ago, I still would have been like, oh yeah, I'm really compelled by Jesus or Mm -hmm. really compelled by the Christ. And I'm really honestly not as compelled by those terms or that language or those ideas anymore. Mm. And I am, but what I am compelled by are the people who are compelled by those, because if that's what you need to connect with something outside of yourself, and therefore that you connecting with something outside of yourself is your way into connecting with yourself and with other people. Like that's amazing. That's beautiful. That's perfect. Um, I but I don't that. feel this need for all of us to share the same language about you that. And so I'm, I'm retiring my, I'm, I'm feeling myself really ready to retire um, that particular language of, you know, Christianity as being compelling to me personally. Ooh. And I guess I say it so many times in this podcast, people probably get annoyed with it, but I really <laughs> do see that spirituality is a spectrum, yeah. you know, and it yep. flows in both directions. And I mean, I feel like you could be on the deep end, you know, and want to be a Bible scholar and uh, take everything biblically literate um, one day and the next day, that's just not where you're at, you know? And I think that both of those parts of the stream are perfectly valid, you know? Yes, Um, absolutely. I, I, that's very much how I feel about sexuality when you, when I hear you say that, because for me, like, I know, you know, again, everyone says, you know, sexuality is a spectrum because it is, but in my saying of that and my recognition of that, what that means to me personally is I have a hard, if not impossible time identifying my place on that spectrum Mm. because just because I woke up today and currently right now, my partner is a male Mm -hmm. is like a, is a cis, um, cisgendered heterosexual male. I don't feel like just because that is my current partner, I don't feel like that that means that I am because I've never really felt utterly and entirely heterosexual. Mm -hmm. I've never really felt utterly and entirely anything at all. And so that idea that like I could wake up, I know, I know what compels me and I know what I feel attracted to today only because it's today. Yesterday it was different. Tomorrow it could be totally different. And so because of that, I don't feel entirely comfortable like identifying a specific place on that spectrum. So the way that you just described that, how it relates to spirituality really makes sense to me. Like you're talking about that that really connects. I'm just like, oh, you're right. Like I could wake up tomorrow and, and the Bible could be compelling to me again. And th- th- the most important thing is that I'm giving myself the freedom to be honest with it. Exactly. The most important yep. thing is that you are still engaging with that, with that part of yourself that is having that conversation, whether you're listening to it or not, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. I think the danger in um, the, I guess, uh, we'll, we're talking about Christianity, so we use that. Like the danger in, in Christianity being all yes or all no in people saying I am no longer part of this institution Mm. and just shutting themselves off from that is that like you're you're still developing as a spiritual person you know whether and you will be forever you will be forever so Mm -hmm. we need to deal with it you know otherwise (laughs) it's going to eat away at us and yes you know in some ways it turns us into like a curmudgeonly old um (laughs) atheist who only 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 wants to be angry and attack other people and say God isn't real When, when in actuality like it's that that sounds more like a political statement than yes. actually something that you've worked through and has become this organic part of your being. And yes, absolutely. Lord mm-hmm. have mercy. Two
time but I want to talk about the work that you're doing um not -hmm. just poetry but also the the therapy um yeah tell me what it is that you actually do what is your vocation in the world (laughs) what do you actually it's funny because every time someone asks me that I'm like I have to think about how I'm answering that question today again that even feels like it's on spectrum um but my technical title is that I'm a coach um I am I'm finished. So because of all that ministry stuff that I did, I'm just, I'm 30 and I'm finally finishing undergrad. Um, so I am figuring out whether or not once I finish this, um, my school, you do like a thesis for your senior year. It's Mm -hmm. like a undergraduate program that kind of like functions like a PhD, which is really cool. Um, so I'm figuring out whether or not I'm going to pursue licensure as a therapist. Mm Um, but currently right now I have a certification as a coach. Um, cool. so it's different role, um, definitely different needs that are able to be met, but I really love that specific role. Um, and the focus that I have in my coaching work, um, is very much on embodiment. And, um, for a lot of people who are coming out of, um, experiences, toxic and abusive experiences with, um, religious, you know, fundamentalist religious dogma, fundamentalist religious teaching, um, holding that space for like a, a re-embodiment, a reconnection with their bodies, um, a reconnection with the voice of their bodies. And kind of what you said before about, you know, the other, I think you said it was an interview that you did before where you were talking about how, um, you know, that shift within yourself of, listening to yourself is like so difficult because you were taught for such a long time that you were required to listen to these external entities, um, Mm -hmm. slash taught that you were not allowed to listen to yourself because that was bad. Like, I don't know about you, but I was literally taught as a kid, uh, this phrase that it was like, self-esteem is bad because you're not supposed to be filled with yourself. You're supposed to be filled with God. So you have to choose God esteem, like whatever the fuck that means. But like just the, on a very basic level, teaching a child, like it's sinful to have self-esteem is horrifying. Yeah. But a lot of us were taught things like that. So there is very much, um, there's what I believe is, is an epidemic that is not only rooted in that language of your flesh being bad, sinful, you have a said nature, but the specificity of a lot of that purity culture stuff that like yeah. a whole generation of us were taught, mm-hmm. um, or we were required to cut ourselves off from a very valid, real, beautiful aspect of who we oh, are. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the, and the consequences of that, um, that separating from that part of ourself, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. We are separating ourselves from the entirety of ourselves when we do that. Yeah. And so you have these people who now, you know, as adults. And I, I mean, I have, I think my youngest, the youngest client I've had has, is 20. The youngest mm-hmm. person I've spoken to in this work is 20. And the oldest person, um, I want to say, how old did she, I just talked to her yesterday, 64. Um, wow. so yeah. So wow. everyone in between that who has been affected that at some point they get to a point in their relationship with themselves, even if they might not phrase it that way, where they're like, I, Either, either this this internal disconnection from the self has manifested in a, in a physical way, like a chronic illness or just straight up sexual dysfunction or um, disordered eating patterns or, you know, whatever it might be. Either it's manifested physically that way or it's just this felt sense of like that I'm so dissociated, disconnected from my body and I don't know what to do. Um, so I speak to a lot of people who are <clears throat> in that initial 
phase of like religious deconstruction. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also speak to a lot of people who deconstructed a long time ago and Mm -hmm. are confused as to why they don't feel better or why they don't feel at home in their bodies because they left it so long ago. I don't Mm. believe that, like, I don't believe in that anymore. So why is my body reacting this way? Um, so that kind of a very specific work of, um, you know, holding that space for, for embodiment, um, and embodiment as it specifically relates to overall wellness. I love that you are able to be just so open and articulate with your story and that, um, you're, you're doing the recycling thing, you know, where you're Mm. passing your knowledge Mm -hmm. on as, as you gain it, you know, and that, that is such a hard thing to do. That is such a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, high five yep. to you for doing it. Where can people find mm-hmm. Thank you? Thank you. Um, <laughs> well, my website, which is currently under a little bit of construction. Um, so it's, it's bare bones right now, but it, look, it looks, it looks kind of good. I, it looks um, great. Oh, I would you. never even thank think you. that. Yeah. That. Oh, thank you. Well, the girl that's building, building the one for me now, she is so good. So it's going it, to, yeah. once you see like the new one, you'll be like, oh my God, now I get what you meant. Okay, um, so, <clears throat> but, so it's just jamieleefinch.com. Um, and then I'm also on, um, you know, Twitter, I'm definitely on Twitter. Um, (laughs) and I'm, I'm on, I'm nominally on Facebook. Um, and I am active on Instagram in as much as that's primary place where I post my poetry. Um, and, but again, you know, kind of like we talked about at the beginning, like I've felt myself kind of getting, and I've had this conversation with my body trying to figure out, okay, how do we get back to that? Like I've kind of gotten away from like the active like writing of the poetry and I really miss that part of myself and I miss connecting yeah. with myself that way but that's predominantly what is um there but yeah so any of those outlets it's Jamie Lee Finch on all of those yeah. um I do take private private clients one-on-one clients for the work that I do I am currently booked up um on consultations until uh 2019 um but there <laughs> yeah right and that's what I'm saying this okay is- like it's the yeah. most uncomfortable job security of all time because I'm like I love that I get to do what I love I hate that there are this many people who have been yeah. fucked up by this thing it makes me so angry but so people aren't just reaching out to you in the Tennessee area they're able to talk to you all over yeah <clears throat> yep I have a client in Turkey I have a client in Australia I have a client in the UK I have a client who um, is going to be heading back to Egypt um, relatively soon I have a client who's currently living in Alaska like if you have a internet connection, like we can, we can do this. Um, because a lot of this work is very focused on holding space for, um, you know, and and teaching a lot of teaching in, in developing your relationship with yourself and with your own body. So it is, it is self-directed in a way, but it is held inside of this container that I'm like facilitating. So it can be done from anywhere, which is awesome. So my website now currently has, um, a sign up to hop on like a wait list. Yeah. Um, and so people can throw the email on there. So they'll be contacted once I have openings. And then eventually I'll be working with someone who's going to help me like develop a, like an, I don't like the term newsletter. It feels weird, but something like that. Where people <laughs> but you know, learning some of these concepts on yeah. their own and, and facilitate them for, for themselves. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham, and you can find out more about me at crystalcheatham.com and on Twitter as, you guessed it, Crystal Cheatham. Find out more about the campaign hashtag baggage claim or pick up one of our handy dandy t-shirts, Keep the Faith, Ditch the Baggage, by heading over to ourbibleapp.com. And don't forget to take a picture of yourself with the shirt and tag our Bible app when you do. We want to see who's doing this deconstructing thing as well. Okay, bye!